going to begin our worship this evening by singing to God's praise in Psalm 27 in the Sing Psalms. We're singing verse 1 to verse 5. The Lord's my Savior and my light, who will make me dismayed. The Lord's the stronghold of my life. Why should I be afraid? When evildoers threaten me to take my life away, my adversaries and my foes, they will stumble in that day. We're going to sing from verse 1 to 5. The tune is St. Columba, and we'll stand to sing.
unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Lord our God, our Father in heaven, uh, the privilege is ours to come and draw near to you in worship. The joy is ours to know that you are a God who delights in your people coming and to draw near to you and to offer up praise from the very bottom of our hearts, rejoicing in the fact that you alone are our salvation, that in you alone there is salvation for all who will come and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that the gospel is an open invitation, that there are no restrictions put on it, but that there is a free offer through the gospel. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we thank you that the beauty of Christ has been seen and indeed is seen in this world. That there were many who, who gazed upon the Lord, who saw his works, who saw his miracles, who spoke of them, who marveled at them. But we thank you that the greatest one of all that was those who could say, he is not here, for he is risen. We thank you that there is such great hope in those words, that though there were many who looked on as our Lord was uh, led to the cross and as he was crucified and as he gave his life up, that there was much sorrow in that time as there was darkness over all the earth. We thank you for the resurrection morning. We thank you for the power he has on over conquering death and that in Jesus Christ now we know the beauty of salvation. and We know the delight to be able uh, to come near to him and we pray that even this evening we will have that great longing of the psalmist, that one thing we'll plead before the Lord, that we will seek it always, that we may come in within God's house and dwell there all our days, that we would see the beauty of the Lord and gaze constantly upon him. We thank you that that is not just seen here in this place, but even as we leave here this evening, help us to fix our eyes on our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the one who heals our sin-sick hearts, the one who, if we come in repentance and confessing our sins anew, he is able to cleanse us from all our sin. So we acknowledge, Lord, before you anew this evening our shortcomings, how we are a people who fall short of your glory in so many ways. You know the, the wickedness and the deceit of our hearts, as the word says, the, the heart is wicked beyond all things. And we know, Lord, in our own experience, in our day-to-day -day lives, how easy it is for us to sin. How often we say the wrong thing, how often we do the wrong thing. How often the wrong thoughts come into our minds. How often our inaction is sin as well. But we thank you that there is yet forgiveness with you. And so we come as sinners before a holy God this evening, uh, pleading with you, Lord, have mercy upon us and direct us towards you, lead us in our worship, lift up our hearts and our souls to you this evening so that whatever our circumstances, whatever our situation, we may find that great joy of salvation restored to our hearts. Uh, we thank you that you are the one who is able, that we come before you with uh, powerless hands and lips,
But we thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for the power you have to work in and through us. And so we plead, Lord, your presence with us, that you will draw near to us as we draw near to you. Bless all our homes and families as we unite our hearts together here. Bless the homes we reach into through the online services as well and all who are unable to be with us for such a variety of reasons. We thank you that we have the means to, for the gospel to go out. We pray that you will bless it to all ends of the earth. Not just the gospel preached here today, but throughout our denomination, throughout our churches, throughout all the churches of the world today, wherever your people have gathered as your church, that wherever your name has been praised, that there will be much glory given to you. We pray for the work of salvation to be seen and known far and wide. But we thank you that your gospel is not confined in any way, not limited in any way. And even as we see in our reading this evening, uh, that your word is powerful to convict and to convert. And so we pray for that power to be with us as we hear your word and as we come uh, to, to study it together here. We know, Lord, that you, you know our very hearts and our innermost thoughts. And we thank you that as we come in prayer, we come rejoicing in the hope that you are the one who is able to answer above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. We thank you that as we ask for comfort in our prayers, that you are able to comfort beyond the comfort we even imagine. That we cannot enter into the experiences of your people at times and the hurt they feel and the anxieties they have. And those who are downcast in their hearts, sorrowful in their souls. But we thank you that you are the one who is able to uplift. That you are the one who is able to encourage. And so we pray for all uh, who we know and love and care for. Who are going through difficult times. Times of sorrow, times of illness, times of grief. We do pray, Lord, for your hand to be upon them for good that they would know that you are the one who is faithful and always ever-present, that you are the one who is near. We pray, Lord, for our communities at this time. We, we know that there's been so much activity around the town these past days. Uh, we do thank you for many people we've met and spoken to. We do pray, Lord, that even from this morning's uh, breakfast, that there will be many seeds that have been sown there that will be blessed by you. Thank you for every engagement that was made with people in the hall. Thank you for those who came into the worship service and maybe even here this evening too, those who are visiting with us. We pray your blessing on each and every one. And we do thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is able to unite us as a people uh, through praise and worship. We thank you for the, the families who are present this morning, for the baptisms. We thank you for the children who are baptized. We continue to pray your blessing on them. We thank you for that great covenant promise that there is. And we pray that you will draw these children and all our children uh, to the, know the covenant promise of Christ uh, fulfilled in him, that they through faith might come to confess him as their Lord and Savior. Look after all our young people during these holiday times. Remember especially those who are at camps just now. So we continue to pray for the Camps that continue to meet in these in this week and the week ahead, the weeks ahead. We ask your safety and your protection and your blessing over each and every one of the leaders and all the activities they are involved in. And then the children, Lord, may they hear the gospel good news and may they be blessed by it. We do pray for 
the ongoing work of the church throughout our nation and the nations of the world, how we need your light to go forth and with power into, our, into every nation of the world, to bless our leaders, to bless those who rule over us, to bless those who have such uh, desires for evil in this world. Where we think of war and terrorist activities and greed and all of the things that direct our hearts so often. We pray for you to melt the hardest of hearts, uh, to bring grace and to bring mercy and to bring repentance and to bring glory to your name. So we continue to pray for the needs of our world, for your protection over us as a people, for your blessing to be upon us, for your reviving power of your spirit to be with us even in this time together. May you continue to bless us this day and look after us and go before us in the days ahead. Direct our steps and our paths, encourage our hearts and give us lips that will always sing your praise and witness for you. So Lord, continue with us now in our praise as we continue to worship you. Forgive us all our sins and all we ask, we ask for the forgiveness of all our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll again sing to God's praise in Psalm 125 in the Scottish Psalter. You find this on page 429. Psalm 125, page 419. We'll sing the whole of this psalm together. The in the Lord that firmly trust shall be like Sion Hill which at no time can be removed, but standeth ever still. We'll sing the whole of this psalm, the tune is St. Andrew, and we'll stand to sing.
Can we turn together to read in God's Word? We're reading in the Old Testament and in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're reading from the beginning of the chapter down to the middle of verse 19. 2 Kings chapter 5. Reading from the beginning of that chapter. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Aban and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, Beth and all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? As he actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please, 
Let they be given to your servant, two mule loads of earth. For from now on, on your servant, on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord. Pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. And so on, and may God bless that reading from his word to our souls. We're going to sing again before we turn back to this passage in Psalm 31. We're singing the Sing Psalms version. Psalm 31 on page 36 of the Psalm books. We're going to sing from verse 1 to verse 7. In you I've taken refuge, Lord. You are my shelter in distress. So let me never be ashamed, but save me in your righteousness. We're going to sing verse 1 to verse 7, and the tune is Rockingham, and we'll stand to sing.
Well, if we can turn back to our reading in 2 Kings chapter 5, and consider these verses we've read. Together we read of this man called Naaman. Naaman, who was, as we read in verse 1, commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And so it goes on. There are many things that we maybe think are, are hidden from others in this life. Many things that we probably know in our own hearts that we're glad that people don't know about us. But God's word reminds us that there is nothing hidden from the Lord. You know, in the psalm we just sang, Psalm 31, uh, in verse 7 we, we read these words, For my affliction you have seen, to you my soul's distress is known. And in the midst of Naaman's life, in the midst of everything that was good in his life, as he would see it himself, there was something that was a great affliction to him. But almost unbeknown to him, the Lord had a great plan and a greater plan for him than anything that he could have planned in his own heart. And that's what we want to look at this evening as we come to look at this passage. One of the many things that people look forward to on a Sunday, and perhaps you've already enjoyed this this afternoon, is to sit down to a nice meal, to sit down and enjoy maybe a traditional Sunday roast, uh, gathered around the table, maybe with family and friends. Sometimes it's hard to be, just a nice roast and all the trimmings. But with it comes another issue, the dishes. There may be a rush to come and sit at the table when everyone's called that the food is ready. But then once all the food is gone, once all the food has been devoured, there'll be a different kind of rush. And that's the rush away from having to do the dishes. We'll leave that for someone else to do. Because to make a roast involves a lot of work. The roasting dish will be hard to clean. The pan of vegetables that's dried and burnt to the bottom will be impossible to clean. The Yorkshire dish, the Yorkshire pudding dish, it just will not clean no matter how much you scrub at it. So there's a lot of work. And that's when people will disappear. And that's why there are billions spent on trying to find the magic cleaning agent or the magic machine that will do the work for you. But there are some stains that are just impossible and so hard to remove. Well, this evening as we look at Naaman, we're looking at a man who in the midst of all his power and all his wealth, a man who had probably never had to clean a dish in his life. We look at him, but he's got a different problem, a different issue that's needing cleaning. But no matter how much he has, and no matter how much he can try to deal with this issue himself, it is impossible. It's a stain that's impossible to remove by himself. As we've read there in verse 1, you see so many things about this man. Uh, so many things that would have held him in great esteem among his people. He was a man of great power, a commander of this, the army, second only to the king of Syria. And yet he finds himself 
having to humble himself and look for help from someone he would never want to go near by his own choice, to go to the people of Israel, to go to the prophet of God, to go to Elisha in order to be healed. And yet it's into this amazing situation that we see God working things for his good. From the most unexpected of sources comes a word of hope to him. From a little girl who had been taken captive, who has a great burden for her Lord, as she calls him, for her master. And she speaks to his wife uh, these wonderful words, if only he would look to the Lord. If he would only listen to this prophet of God. And it's in this encounter that the word of God takes hold of this man who was a stranger to the God of Israel, a stranger to the Lord and his grace. And at the center, at the heart of it, is what it really means to be clean, to have that stain of sin washed away, a stain that we can never remove ourselves, but that only the Lord can. It's a reminder to us of ourselves and how we are a people who are unclean in so many ways, but how the Lord is able to work from the inside out to make us clean, in other words, to make us right with God. But we may see ourselves in Naaman, or we have to see ourselves in Naaman in different ways to know this cleaning. In order for our hearts to be made right with God, our hearts need to be pricked just as Naaman's was. And there's three things I want us to see about Naaman this evening that remind us of ourselves. The first thing is this, that Naaman was a sick man. The second thing is, he was a stubborn man. And the third thing, and the most amazing thing is, he was a saved man. So the first thing we see is Naaman is a sick man. Naaman and who he was, we are introduced there in verse 1. It tells us all about him. But what does it tell us? What does it say in that verse that stands out to you? He was a commander, commander of the army of the king of Syria, which at this time was one of the most powerful kingdoms in the whole world. It's hard to imagine, for us to imagine just the power that this man had, this, the hold that he had over his own armies and over all the nations around him. People lived in fear of him. He was a commander in the midst of this. It says, too, that he was a great man with his master. He was trusted by the king of Syria. He gave him all authority and all power to do as he saw right in his eyes, to go about all his conquests. He was trusted by the king of Syria. It also says that he was a mighty man of valor. He was a brave man. He had conquered many nations, many people. He'd won many battles over his years. You could almost see him as being an untouchable in so many different ways. And these are the kinds of things that in our day and age are so appealing to people now as well. They want this sense of being untouchable, as we were hearing this morning about everybody has their own individual ideas. 
You cannot tell me what to do. I am going to do what I want. And these are the things that people see as being important. Power and wealth and authority are strived for. And as we've seen over the last few years, they're not easily given up. Nobody wants to let go of this power. Nobody wants to let go of this authority if they have it. People want this sense of power. But yet there is something about Naaman in this verse that it tells us to. Something telling. You see at the end of verse 1 there is a but. He may have been all these great things, a commander, a trusted man, a man of valor, a mighty man of valor, yet it says at the end of the verse, but he was a leper. He was a sick man. No matter how much power, no matter how much money or authority he had, this was something that was incurable. He was a sick man. Now, we've experienced much sickness in different ways over these last few years. Our world was living in a way where it seemed people were untouchable. Nothing could get to them. And yet, during the pandemic, it seemed at some points that uh, each day it was emphasized just how contagious the virus was. And it was often noted that even so-and-so has got it. And it's almost like people are astonished, surprised that people in positions such as the rich and the famous sports people, the politicians, that, that this virus could touch them. And yet no one was immune to it. No matter the power that Naaman had, no matter the wealth that Naaman had, he was sick. And no matter the power that anyone has today or the status that anyone has today, people are not immune to sickness. But this is telling us more than just a physical illness. This is reminding us of a greater problem, a problem that's even more contagious than any virus that this world, that comes our way in this world, and it's the problem of sin. Sin is the greatest sickness that we experience. And we all have it. You see, no matter how you describe your life today, no matter how well you feel today, or no matter how weak and vulnerable you maybe feel today, this is something we cannot get away from. This is a problem we all have. We all have this but in our life. Not, I am a leper, but I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Naaman was a sick man. You and I are sick people because the word of God tells us so. You read in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how much we try and deny it, no matter how much we try and 
push that away from us. No matter how much the world will tell us that we cannot see, you are a sinner. The word of God tells us that we are sick, that we are all sinners. Naaman was a mighty man, a powerful man, but he was a sick man. But in the midst of this, there is something greater going on. God is at work. There's another but in this verse. A, a verse, that, a but that we maybe don't see immediately that doesn't stand out as much as but he was a leper. You see, in this opening verse, it's not all about Naaman. It's not telling us how great Naaman was. It's telling us how great God is. You read through verse 1 there, and there's all these things about Naaman. Naaman was a commander of the army. He was a great man with his master, high in favor. But in the middle of the verse it says, another but, if you like, but because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. It wasn't through Naaman's power. It wasn't through Naaman's military tactics or skills. It was the Lord that had given victory. It was the Lord who had won. God was in the midst of everything here. And it's a reminder to us as well, for all our world is sin sick, that God is working in this world. God is working his purposes. Through all his works of providence, God is still working. Providence that doesn't seem to make sense to us at times. Who could understand why this mighty nation of Syria in Naaman's day was all conquering and all powerful when they did not trust God? Yet in the midst of it, God was teaching his people lessons. And God was working even in the heart of Naaman, an enemy of God. It was the Lord who had given victory. In all the victories that Naaman had, it was the Lord. Naaman could do nothing without the Lord willing it. And the same is true for ourselves too. We are lost apart from the Lord. But we should be thankful that the Lord is speaking, that the Lord is working, that the Lord looks down on this sin-sick world. And what does he want for his people? But that they might be saved, that they might come to him and be saved. Because there is something else here in these opening verses that reminds us of God's great works. In verse 2 it says, Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. It's, it's such a minute detail in so many ways. Naaman would have had no thought for this little girl as she was taken captive probably along with hundreds or even thousands of others. But this little girl was about to change his life. 
This little girl in God's providence was brought to work in his household, to have a word to speak to Naaman's wife. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Imagine the courage of that little girl to speak, to say these words to her masters in their own home, to stand up before them and direct them to their enemy and say, you can get help there from this man of God, from this prophet of God. The courage of this little girl. And isn't it wonderful how God works together all things? How God in the midst of this mighty man of valor's life uses a little helpless girl to direct him to the place of healing. What we see in this little girl is what we should see in every Christian. Courage. Courage to speak and to point people to the prophet of God, to the son of God, to Jesus Christ. And to say to this sin-sick world, I know your problem because I have it too. I am a sinner in my heart, yet I know where there is help. Would that you would go to Christ. Would that you would come to him who is able to heal. We have a powerful man who is a sick man, but who hears of a great God. And that is what we should long for today for ourselves, to know our sickness, to know that no matter what power we feel we have, we are unable to do anything about this sickness, but to hear that there is a God who can help, to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge our weakness before God, pleading for help with him. But we see the second thing is a problem we also have so often. Naaman is a stubborn man. And isn't that a problem we so often have ourselves too? You just look at the way Naaman responds when he hears about this possibility of help. He hears the potential of healing for himself and he's keen to find out what it is, but he wants it on his own terms. He wants everything done his way. And that's because, like you and I, he was stubborn. Sin makes us stubborn. Sin makes us a people who want to work things out for ourselves. We want things done in our own way. And who is willing to acknowledge their stubbornness? We are so often too slow to admit it. Even if someone was to tell us, why are you so stubborn? Or you're just a stubborn person. Our natural reaction would be to say, I'm not stubborn. Our stubbornness makes us stubborn to admit we're stubborn. We don't want to admit it. And we'll go on the defensive straight away. And so if someone tells us, you're a sinner and you need to come to Christ, our natural reaction is, no, I'm not. 
And how dare you tell me so? And you see our own hearts in Naaman's, in his stubbornness, as you see in verse 11. Naaman was angry. He was angry. Uh, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and just wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Why was he so angry? Because in his stubbornness, he couldn't humble himself to this point where he would receive help from somebody else. He wanted it done to his, in his way. First of all, he thought he could sort things out for himself by his wealth. You see that in the middle of verse 5. In verse 5 it says, The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. In today's value, you're looking at silver there worth about 200,000 pounds. And gold worth probably around 3 million pounds. And here he is carrying this wealth with him in the hope that he could probably buy his cleansing. Purchase it for himself. And to be able to say, I have done it by my own wealth and by my own means. But we are fools to think that we can in any way do anything to earn or pay for our salvation. To find a way that is going to save me that's a cost that I can pay myself. Because our salvation is a cost that we can and could never pay. Isaiah 55 verse 1 is that great invitation and says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, by wine and milk, without money and without price. But Naaman would rather bring his own wealth to buy it. And isn't that the stubbornness of our hearts so often too? Where we feel that there is a way we can do something about our situation ourselves. We need to learn this lesson of our stubbornness. You cannot. We cannot do anything. The second way you see he was stubborn was who he came to. He was told to go to the prophet of God in Samaria. But who does he come to? He came to the king. Elisha was almost way down the ranks. He wasn't going to go to a common person. He was going to go to the top, to the king. If anyone was going to help him, it would have to be someone really important. So he goes to the king. But no, it wasn't to the king he had to go. But his stubbornness made him, when he did eventually go to Elisha, he wouldn't even go through his door. He wasn't going to come down and go into his place. He was going to have to come out to him to help him. Did he not know who he was? And how important a person he was. In our stubbornness, we need to humble ourselves. To recognize how unimportant we are. And to realize the importance of the one who is able to help. 
the one who came into this world, who humbled himself by coming into this world, who was nothing to be looked at. And yet when we are saved, as the psalmist says, that we might see the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of Jesus Christ, and humble ourselves before him. Our stubbornness wants things done our way. But humility teaches us and grace teaches us there's nothing we can do. That it has all been done by the Son of God, by Jesus Christ. And to see Jesus and to see the price that he has paid it should humble us. That he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That he came to pay the price that we could never pay. The book of Acts tells us that there's only one who can heal our sin-sick hearts. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, This Jesus is the stone who was rejected by you. He has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. In his stubbornness, name and thought, he could do things his way. Again, you look at verse 11 and it says, In his anger, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. I thought this is how it was going to work out. I thought this was what was going to happen. And we all have our own plans. I thought this is how I would be saved. But the truth changes it for us to recognize it's so often not what we thought, but what the Lord wants. He thought he could change God's plan. Naaman thought his ways were superior to God's ways. He even found fault in God's plan. When Elisha says to him through the messenger, go and dip yourself Seven times in the Jordan. What's his response? What an insult. Are there not better rivers in my own country that I could go and dip myself in? Are there not better places I could go? Yeah, a bit like someone saying to us, go to Glasgow and dip yourself in the Clyde. We say, well, why not just go to the Creed? It's cleaner. It's better. But when God says to do something, you must do it. We must obey the command of God and not say, but I've got a better idea. I've got a better way. If God says, go to church to hear his word, you don't say no. If God says, you're a sinner, you don't say, no, I'm not. If God says you must repent, you don't say, no, I've got no need for repentance. If God says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the only way to salvation, you don't have the right to turn and say, no, I've got a better way. For there is only one way to be saved, and that is through him. Millions 
every day make the same mistake that Naaman made. Perhaps you've been making that mistake in your own life again and again. You think your own ways. I thought I could do this. I thought I could do it this way or a better way. I've got a better plan. But God is saying, no, there is no other way to be saved. So he speaks to Naaman's stubborn heart. In the same way, he speaks to our own stubborn hearts. And he says, do it my way. Come, repent, and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our stubbornness, God sent his son to bring a stubborn people back to himself. There's only one way. Naaman was a sick man, something we must acknowledge. Naaman was a stubborn man, something again we must acknowledge and turn our hearts towards him. But the third thing and the great thing you see here is Naaman is a saved man. When we see God's grace fulfilled in his life, you see the I thought I knew best in verse 11 changed as you read in verse 15 when he returned to the man of God, to Elisha, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. I thought I knew, he is saying. You see his humility? Now I know. Now I know there is no other God in all the earth but in Israel. And this is the God who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other God but him. What a transformation for this man Naaman. The second most powerful man in the world. Humbled before God. How was he humbled? How did he come to this point? He obeyed the word of God from the prophet. He dipped himself seven times into the Jordan. And he was cleansed. There was repentance. There was humility. There was obedience. He went from unwilling to willing. And you notice some things that brought him to this point. There was a word from his own servants in verse 13. Even when he was <clears throat> angry, his servants came and said to him, there in verse 13, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Will you not do it? And sometimes we just have to speak directly to people. People are angry against God. But they said to him, My lord, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken. Sometimes the hardest thing for us is to speak the truth. But in a world that's so confused and lost, it is the truth that needs to be heard. My friends, you are sinners. But my friends, there's a cure in Jesus Christ. Naaman's stubbornness is turned 
to submission. And who would have thought, looking at this man, this Naaman, the most powerful man at this time, that in his stubbornness he would be changed? And when we look around ourselves today, we see our own stubbornness and we see the stubbornness of others. But the power of God is able to change. We continue to speak the truth in love. Naaman dipped himself in the Jordan. And what the word of God is telling us is you must believe. You see, Naaman wasn't changed by the dipping itself. He wasn't changed by the Jordan itself. It was by the power of God that changed this leper into a man who was clean. And how are we made clean today? How can we be made clean? Well, Peter, in his first letter, tells us not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We are made clean through faith in Christ. And Naaman's cleansing was complete. He got more than his health. He was made whole. It tells us there at the end of verse 14, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. He was made well. And you see it so often in the, the, the cleansing of Jesus in the New Testament. The woman with the issue of blood. Blind Bartimaeus. And so it goes on, there's so many. By the touch of Christ, they are made well. They are made clean. They are made whole. Your faith has made you well, he says. We need that faith. And as he is made well, you also see that in the, even in his anxieties and his fears of being a man who had come to trust in the God of Israel, and he had to go back to his own people, to his own land, and the fear of the worship that they were involved in. You see that in verse a 17 down to verse middle of verse 19 he's going back to a place that is offering sacrifices to any god but the lord it says there's so much that is wrong with where he is going and he has this fear and he brings this fear to elisha he's almost saying to him he's bowing himself before him he's saying in verse 18, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. He knows the challenges he's going to have going back. But Elisha says this to him, go in peace. And one of our greatest fears when it comes to faith in the Lord Jesus is to go back into the world and to live among a people who will challenge our faith and people whose ways may be so different to her faith, to hear a, a language that hurts, to see behavior that hurts. But we don't avoid it. You see, Naaman was being put back there as a light for the gospel, a powerful man in the midst of that nation. Just like Daniel, who stood up for the Lord, just like so many we see in the scriptures who stood up for the Lord. And so we as Christians are to stand up for the Lord. Do not be afraid to believe. 
For the Lord says, go in peace. And what these words means is he goes with us. When we are well, we are to tell others of the way to be well. And not to be afraid, for the Lord is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is with his people always. That is the great promise. Do you see yourself then in this man Naaman? We are a sick people just like Naaman. But in God's providence here we are with the opportunity to know the one who is able to make us clean. The Lord Jesus. We are a stubborn people. Our hearts are always stubborn. To be told what we must do we don't like it. The Lord is selling telling us humble yourselves humble yourselves under the mighty arm of God so that he may lift you up that's what the gospel tells us and the gospel assures us that when we come to the Lord Jesus we are made well we are made clean and we are able to go in peace that peace that only he can give we all have this issue of uncleanness. The stain that's so hard to remove, impossible for ourselves. But God sent his son into this world that the stain of sin may be eradicated from our hearts. That we may be made well with him and that we may know his peace. Just like Naaman then. We are to humble ourselves in obedience and come to him. So may we hear that great invitation to come and be clean, to be well, and to go in peace. May God bless his word to us. We're going to conclude by singing to his praise in Psalm 92 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 92 page 351 we'll sing from verse 1 to verse 3 psalm 91 uh, psalm 92 sorry psalm 92 in the scottish psalter verse 1 to verse 3 to render thanks unto the lord it is a comely thing and to thy name O thou most high, you praise aloud to sing. We'll sing from verse 1 to verse 3 to God's praise.
the benediction, I'll go to the door to my right-hand side. Let's close with the benediction. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.